This podcast is brought to you by jewishpodcasts.org. Start your very own podcast today at jewishpodcasts.org. All right, everybody. Parshas Vayichi 5782. Parak, yeah, you're good. Parak Nun, Gimel. The last in Sefer Bereshis. Toward the very, very end of the Parsha, guys, it says, Vayisu also a of Arsa Canaan, that the children of Yaakov Inu carried him into the land of Canaan. Vayikro also b'mar sedia machpela sherkana avrom esasodela chuzas kaver. So they buried him in the cave of the field of machpela that Avram Inu had bought. The field. Lachuzas cover as a place to bury his dead. Meis Ephronachiti al Pnei Mamre from Ephronachiti right by the face of Mamre. What an unbelievable pasuk! Now Rashi says very clearly only the children of Yaakov Avinu carried the coffin. No one else, not his grandchildren, not anybody else. Only the children. He told them. He told them that this is because he didn't want an Egyptian man or the child of any other nation touching his coffin after he had passed away. However, Levi was also not allowed to carry him because Levi in the future, his children would be carrying the Aron Kodesh. So therefore, Levi himself was taken away. He wouldn't carry. Yosef, I thought he couldn't do it because he was connected to a king. He was considered the king. It would be beneath his kavod. And therefore, Yosef's sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, took their places on that side. He then told them the order in which they would lift up the coffin. Rashi says it was three on each side, which is weird, right? You picture a coffin being carried. You definitely don't picture three on each side, especially not three walking backward the whole time. But they were supposed to be according to the way that they would travel in the midbar, which would be Yehuda Yisachar Zvulin, right, as well as Ruvain, Ruvain Shimon and Gud, right, and then on the other side we have Ephraim and Asher and Binyamin and Dun Naphtali and Asher, and that's how it was supposed to be, that each one traveled in one way to be able to go, he even told them east, west, north, south, how they were supposed to go, the Rabbi Noah Ephraim says it's hinted to from the words, and I love this, Vayasu Banav Lokat Kain Kasher Tzivam is the Gematra of 1223, same as Bnei Yaakov Okay, that's awesome. That's awesome. When you have a gematria that's up to over the thousands, then you know you're doing well. That's going to be pretty good. So Rabbi Noah Prime says that. But then you got to wonder, what does that mean exactly? It's like Chizkuni, Rechaim Paltiel, the Moshe, the king of the Panech Raza, they all ask that. If the Shvatim were married to Kananios, right, non-Jewish women, and that's what ya- why Yaakov didn't want him carrying the coffin, because remember that we had that Machlokis from last week already, right, who they married. If they married Kananios, then why wouldn't he allow Shimon's children to carry him? Shimon was married to Dina, like we learned last Last week, at least one of Dina's kids was there by Shimon, Shaul ben Akananis, or the others, depending on the Medrash, one of or more than those children of Shimon were able to carry. They were fully Jewish children. So what was the problem? You're worried about Kenanios women, but not all of them were Kenanios women. What about Peretz and Zerah, who were from Tamar? Tamar was not a Kenani in some way, shape, or form. Tamar was something completely different. And Tamar was also, she wouldn't have been this problem over here. What about that? He says Yaakov couldn't allow that. Because that would have caused jealousy between the Shvatim. But I don't understand. If you're allowing Ephraim and Menashe to carry and their grandchildren, then why can't you let these other grandchildren carry? So this is an interesting answer. It says there technically I, I found three answers to the question. The first one is if Osnas is the daughter of Dina and Shechem, right? So it was Dina's child, and then Osnas married Yosef and Ephraim and Asher from there, then it should be okay. It's so far removed from a Kanani from Shechem, two generations removed. So maybe that's a little bit better. Maybe that's going to be a little bit better when it comes to over here. They it's it's possible also, right? That. They answered they were the sons of the king. And therefore, 
there was no jealousy by that. There's no jealousy by children of the king. If you have somebody from Shimon or you have somebody from Yehuda, then people are going to be jealous and say, what's the difference between these grandchildren and other grandchildren? But Ephraim and Menashe were completely different. And if Rabbeinu Ephraim answers from before, Ephraim and Menashe kiruvein v'shimon yuli. Yaakovinu said it himself. Ephraim and Menashe, I'm not considering my grandchildren. They're considered like my children. So I don't want to consider them something different. I consider them mamish like my children. And by the way, the Balaturim brings down that this is the raya, that you could be off by one in Gematria. You can still be off by one in Gematria. Everybody says, like, why do you have to add on that one? It's a cola, because you're not from. So for those people who know, it's from this. Ephraim Umenasha is the same Gematria as Ruvain and Shimon, but it's off by one. It's off by one. And he said, Ephraim Umenasha, Kiruvain Vishimon Yuli. They're like Ruvain and Shimon. It's off by one. And nonetheless, I consider it like the exact same Gematria. So, Booyah to all those who don't believe in that. Next, so Rabbi Chaim Paltio asks, why was Levi Paltio from carrying Yaakovino if his children later carried the Aron? But it doesn't make any sense. His children not only carried the Aron Kodesh, they carried Yosef's kever later on. They carried Yosef's kever. If they weren't allowed, if Levi wasn't allowed to carry Yaakov's kever because of so many years later when his children were going to carry the Aron Kodesh, at the same time that Levi's children were carrying the Aron Kodesh, he had children that were carrying Yosef Atzadik. So he said, and this is an unbelievable madrash. The Ruchayim Peltiel answers, there is a Pasuk in Tehillim, Perak Pei Pasuk Beis. Perak Pei Pasuk Beis. says, Noeg Katzon Yosef. They are led through the desert like the sheep of Yosef. Says the Medrash, Yosef's coffin carried itself and it never had any problem whatsoever. The people didn't have to carry it. So the people like the Aron Kodesh, they put their hands near it and Yosef's coffin carried itself. Not only that, I found a Chidel once that said that they took Yosef's bones and they put it in a sheepskin and it caused the sheep to have Tchias Amesim and it walked in front of them. There was no coffin of Yosef Atzadik. It was a sheep that was walking around with the bones of Yosef Atzadik inside it and that went into Eretz Yisrael. And if that's not freak, freaky, I have no idea what is. That is by far the most unbelievable. And that's Noe Katzon Yosef. Yeah, Shlomo. I know, I know, I know. We can go against the Gemara for this Medrash because it's an awesome Chida. Yes, number two. Of their own. So it's weird because Moshe, Moshe Rabbeinu obviously carried Yosef Atzadik, right? They may have carried Levi. I don't know. I don't have an answer for that great question. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. It's possible that Levi took over after Moshe Rabbeinu stopped. I don't have an answer. I don't know. But it's based on balito, the Balitosis. The Balitosis talk about on Parsh Baloscha, so I'm not sure. Yes, Dave? Yeah, no. So, so Moshe, I was saying, Moshe said that Pasuk and he rose out of the water, right? His bones came out of the water. Yeah, yeah. That's, how, that's, how we that's where they got it from. But it might have been in our own. It seems like it said the Aron of Yosef Atzadik was in the water. What? Uh, he was. But how they were mummified is not the same mummification. This is a shear that I have to refer to you back. It's like six years ago where I gave the mummification process by Yaakovinu and by Yosef Atzadik and what happened. So it's in parts of Ayichi, but it's like six years ago. I don't remember how many years ago, but it was like five or six years ago. So then I'm going to have to refer you back to that. Why was he I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I, th- I think it just happened to have a sheepskin bite. I don't think they were expecting this. <laughs> this is not like a call. They were just like, let's see what happens. No, it was just an unbelievable thing. Yeah, Yosef, sure. Right, before sure held their low. So I don't know. I don't have an answer for it. I, I, I mean, I don't know. Maybe Yosef could do it to only a sheep. I have no idea. But the wording is no way cuts on Yosef. It's just an amazing thing. Rechaim Knievsky says, even if the Shvatim were married to all of their sisters, Yaakov still didn't want, to ki- want them to carry the Aron for another reason. Because there was one of them that was from a Canaanis. 
And that would have been, most likely, I would have either said Shayla, because Er, Onan, and Shayla, if you'll remember from Yehuda's marriage to a Canaanis, or Shimon's Shaul ben Akananis. If she was a Canaanis, she was the only one among them. So even if they were married to Shvatim, two of them were Canaania woman's children, and therefore he didn't want any of the grandchildren carrying. So it goes the exact opposite of what we've been saying up until now in Rashi. Dayelis Ashachar points out that the Gemara says in Sotiyu Gimel that Yosef was involved in the burial of Yaakov, and that's why he was Zoha to be buried by Moshe Rabbeinu. But he did not carry the Aron out of Kavad Malchus. It could be, I, I could, I, that, although they didn't carry the Aron, they were, I don't know, somehow he was allowed to bury him. I don't know what that means. Like, Yosef had said he couldn't pick up the coffin, but he was directly involved in the burial of, of Yaakov Avinu. I would assume it means that he was involved because he made sure that it happened. He allowed them to travel. Maybe he was involved in the direct burial when he got to Maris Machpelah itself. I don't know. But somehow that schuss allowed Moshe Rabbeinu to be able to help him to go the other way around. Okay, we have Gorin Atad. There's an Abarbanel over here. The Rabbeinu Bechaya says in Pasuk Yudalid that there's a hint over here to an unbelievable war. It says in Pasuk Yudalid, the Chol Olim Ito, and everybody that went with him, which is Mashma, that no one died on the way down to Mitzrayim and on the way back. It was a however many day trip down to Eretz Yisrael. There's a machlokus because they might have spent seven days and six days traveling and seven days in Avelos. There were seven days that they already had a Mitzrayim, however long they took. And then they came back during that whole time that they spent in Goranatod by Ma'aras and Machpelah and they came back, no one had died. But not only that, there was a war that happened at that time. There was a war that happened right by, and the tzchus of the great tzaddik, Yaakov Avinu, says the Rabbeinu Bechaya, allowed nothing to happen, and they came back all alive. The Torah more adds, otherwise, why would the Pesach have to tell us they returned alive? We know shluchei mitzvah in Inizokin. A shliach mitzvah doesn't get hurt, and this is the greatest mitzvah to bury one of the greatest tzaddikim of all time. Of course, that's an unbelievable mitzvah, and it gets you neither there nor on the way back. So what's the big chiddush of this Pesach that everybody came back? What's the big chiddush? It must be that there was some type of sakana over here. Something had happened, and something went wrong. What was it exactly? I will say that the Medrash Rabbasi and the Psikta Rabbasi and Parak Vav, they say that this teaches that none of the Egyptians who went to be Malave Yaakovinu, none of them were injured on their way. Their belts and their shoes did not wear out and their shoelaces didn't break. Isn't that unbelievable? He says even that didn't happen. The same thing happened for any of those people who were not Jewish, says the Psikta Rabbasi, who helped build the first space of Mikdash. They may not have even noticed it. But none of them died while they were building the base of Mikdash. They were all fine for the years in which they were building the base of Mikdash. And this is true, and it will happen again, that anyone who's involved in this type of an endeavor for Klau Yisrael, and working in that way, if you're Osik Bitzor Chetzibor, Jewish or not, you will not die during that endeavor, because this is the schuss of Yaakov Avinu, that they all came back. So it wasn't referring to the Jews, it referred to the non-Jews. The Malbim says, it's hinted from the words, the repetition of Asher Kona Avraham. They had to prove their ownership of the grave, right, to the Chitim, the people who had protested against them, Ephron's family, who came along and said, my father never sold it 180 years ago, why do you guys get, guys get Ma'ar's Machpelah? To which they had to prove it, and they had to go around, and even though the Chitim were going to fight them, they survived the war. That's how the Malbim says it. But what happened exactly? The Targum Yonah in New Zeal. It says, Asaph heard from our Seir that his brother had died. They were traveling to Eretz Yisrael to bury his body in Ma'aris Machpelah in Hebron. He gathered his troops together, Asaph did. 
and would not allow them to bury him, claiming that Yaakov's portion in the cave was where he buried Leah and that he gets the other spot. I am the true husband of Leah. I'm the one who gets it. Yaakov had one spot. I had the other and that's that. Naphtali was then sent to run back down to Mitzrayim because Naphtali is super swift as my nephew definitely is, right? And he went ahead, he ran down to Mitzrayim to bring the star that Esav had written to Yaakov years ago, right? Over a hundred years earlier that he had sold his chalik in the cave along with the Bechor status. That's how Targum Anderson says. He brought it back and then Yosef hinted to Chushim ben Dun. This is how Targum Yonason says it. Hinted to Chushim ben Dun. Chushim ben Dun was one of the children of Dun. Some say it's a name that refers to multiple people. Others say it is one person. He took out his sword, cut off Uncle Esav's head, and he was brought back. His body was brought back by his children to the land of Sarah and buried there. The head of Esav then rolled into the cave, landed on Yaakov, Yitzchak Avinu's lap, Right? And that's all the Targum Yonason said. The Shvatim continued to bury their father on Maris Mahpela. So all's well that ends well, right? We have a decapitation, right? We have Esau's body being buried back in Harseir. We have a happy burial. And everything seems to be okay. It's an unbelievable medrash, isn't it? Unbelievable medrash. There, there's more. There's way more. Pirkei Rebbe Lezer and Perik Lama Tessin does not say it was Esau. Pirkei Rebbe Lezer leaves, he says, a man from Harseir. The wording in Pirkei Rebbe Lezer is Ish Me Harseir. Isn't that super weird? Just a random guy from Harseir came along to start a fight and claimed that it was his. It also says that he didn't come to fight knowing that Yaakov's children were actually stronger than him, so just wanted to delay and cause a scene. And that's why Hushim killed him, but it seems kind of strange that that was deserving of the death penalty. <laughs> kind of strange, right? But Hushim went down and did it, and that's all it says. But it doesn't say Asav, and it doesn't say he came to fight. It doesn't even say he brought an army. It just says one guy came to make a complaint. Had it, um, and He was misori. He said, I, something wrong. And they listened to him, and they waited, and that's what happened. The Gemara in Sotu Yud Gimel and Alf says there was another war. The kings of Bnei Asav, Bnei Yishmael, and Bnei Keturah came. They came to fight Bnei Yishmael, but when they saw the honor that was accorded Yaakov Avinu's kever, by all the kings of Egypt and the, the African countries and those people around there, they placed their crowns upon the coffin to the point where there were 36 crowns in the coffin and then joined the procession, which sounds like nothing happened at all. Even though the Bnei Ezeb, Bnei Shmo, Bnei Keturah came to complain about Maris Machpelah, nothing happened. None of them were bothered. I, I guess there was no war. But that's what it says, seems to say in Gemara Soto Yud Gimel at that point. There was another opinion in the Medrash Rabbah that it was the Bnei Ches. Remember the Malbim that mentioned this earlier? The people of Ches came to argue the cave was theirs and it had been 170 years since the sale. So Bnei Yisrael hadn't been around for the last 17 years. So they had claimed that it was their land and they had a Chazaka for the last bunch of years. Now Tully brought the star from Ephron's original sale. Can you imagine they kept the star of Ephron's sale of Maris Machpelah? It's unbelievable, right? And that quieted them down. And what's amazing, Rev. Victor Miller points out, this entire time no one had disputed the cave and never molested it at all, that it remained holy during this entire time, 170 years, even with Bnei Yisrael not there, he said, right there's this amazing thing. Look, there are three things that we bought in Eretz Yisrael straight out from the Torah itself. Maris Machpelah is one. We clearly bought Shechem, right? Yitzchak, you know, put the money, Yaakov, you know, bought the, put the money down, 100 kasita for the city of Shechem or the area around Shechem itself. And we know we have the Makom Mikdash, which David Melech brought from Aravna Hayavusi. All three places are owned not just by Arabs, but they claim it's been there since time immemorial. Isn't that shocking that the three places that we clearly have that we bought are claimed that it's owned by 
I guess our brothers, sort of, right? Long lost. But that, that, that's taken up by them. It's unbelievable. If only we would have kept this star. This star is an amazing thing. If there was a star that was found that says that this was bought from Ephron, that would be absolutely unbelievable. Dave, yeah. So then that brings up the question, why would they leave the star in the tribe? Why, would, why didn't they come with it? So I have that down. If you hold on, I, I do have that. Why they thought that it wouldn't be necessary because of what happened beforehand. But they did have a reason for it. Yeah. Oh, wait, we're not done. We're not done. Hold on. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Sefer Yasher adds the following details because there's quite a bit over here. There's a lot of Midrashim. He says, at first, when Asaph heard that his brother had died, he came with his entire household to mourn Yaakov and even gave him a hespit. According to the Sefer Yasher, he got up and gave a hespit for his brother. Got up and said it. Now, we know Asaph did do something right because when Yitzchak Avinu was buried, he allowed Yaakov Avinu to go first. So there was something there. There was something that Asaph and Yaakov were involved. Nonetheless, once they reached Mars Machpelah, that's when Esau put up a fight and said that the cave was his. I guess the Yitzhahara just couldn't handle it anymore. Yosef approached Esau and told him, this Yosef Atzadik, he told him, I'm not sure what you mean. Didn't my father buy the rights to, him, to bury himself in the cave 25 years ago, says the Sefer Ayasher. Now, if you do that math, guys, that was eight years before, eight years before, it was during the years where there was the famine. It was eight years before Yaakov Avinu came down to Mitzrayim. Right? 17 plus 8, basically, we're talking 70, that's 25 years. So, eight years before that, that was right at the, the middle of the years of satiety, the Yemea Sova, when everything was going well in the world. Apparently, at that point, which we don't see, we don't have this a record anywhere, this is the only place. Yaakov Avinu went to Esav and said, I will buy the right that you have to Maris Machpelah for all the money in the world. It was not sold with the birthright. It was not sold with the Bechor status. He bought it separately. And according to the Medrash, he put down a pile of money in front of Esav, a pile of it, and said, all of this is for your rights to the cave. So Yosef Atzadik said, my father told me that he sold, you sold your right to the cave for a pile of money 25 years ago. Isn't that true? And not only the cave, it was for Eretz Yisrael as well. Isn't that true? Now this is amazing, absolutely amazing, that the Medrash seems to say he settled back in Eretz Yisrael, he made a pile of money, he gave it to him, and he said that. It was so well known that the Shvatim thought there was no need to bring the star. And that answers your question, because everybody knew about this. It was a well-known thing that Yaakov literally piled a mountain of gold in front of Esau and offered it to him to stay away from Eretz Yisrael and give him the cave. So everybody had it. When Esau denied it now, now they had to go back, get the star. They had to run back, and Naphtali had to go run back, right, to be able to go. And he said, I will abide by the words of the star, Esau said, as soon as I see the star. So Naphtali ran back to get it. And that's Anosin Imre Shefer. Shefer is written almost like a sin. So you could write Anosin Imre Sefer. He wrote, he would be able to give over what it said over in the book, the star that they had right over there. This is unbelievable, right? So after Naphtali left, Esau knew that he signed the star. He knew it. The star, not the star from the Bechora, the star about the cave. He knew it. So now he's going to try to take advantage. He's going to try to take advantage of something. I guess when the flash is gone, you can take advantage of something, right? So he sat there, right? And he's sitting there looking at everybody else. And he said, first of all, he also knew that Yosef wasn't around by the sale. So he said, you know, Yosef wasn't there. He was in Mitzrayim already. So he knew he could take something, whatever it was. So either way, Naphtali left. Esau got his children together and said, we're fighting against Yaakov's children right now. But they were much stronger than Esau's family. And in the first battle, 40 men of Esau's family died. 
40 men of that family. We don't know who, we have no idea what the names are, but 40 men of that battle died. Hushim ben Dun was not there when the battle happened. He was told to watch over Yaakov's coffin because he wasn't known as a warrior. He was a deaf mute, or we don't know exactly. He was definitely deaf. He may have also been mute. And therefore, because of that, he didn't know what was going on. All he did was read lips and try to figure out what people were saying. He could understand maybe when people were speaking to him. He was enraged when he asked what was going on and heard that there was a battle over Yaakov. He couldn't hear it or see it, or it was too far away from him to see it. So he was enraged. He ran into the battle camps, found Esav, cut off his head with his sword right there at that moment. That's what Hushim had done, did. So first of all, that's a boss. And that is an amazing, amazing, it's an amazing way to be able to stop a war, just run into the camps where everybody else is, not care about anything else, just cut off the guy's head. That's amazing. The Chidah brings a medrash in Yirmiya that Hushim cut off his head and his legs. That both were gone, and he just was a disembodied body. And that's all that was. It does not say where they buried the legs. The body was brought back to Sayer to be buried, but we don't know where the legs went. And the head, we know, was went to Maros Mafelo, which we'll see in a second. I'm sorry? You know what it doesn't say? I don't remember. It doesn't say which one was first. I can't tell you for sure. I don't remember. I don't remember which one it said. But the Chidah brings it down. The Gemara in Sota, Yud Gimel and Aleph. Now we go back to that Gemara in Sota. When Hushim killed Esav, he did not cut off his head according to the Gemara. He hit him so hard on the back of his head, it caused, if you're eating, I would just stop for a second. Okay? It caused his eyes to pop out. His eyes popped out, and those eyes landed near Yaakov Avinu. There was a different gear on the Gemara that says that, but those eyes landed near Yaakov Avinu, right? And Yaakov Avinu opened up his eyes, saw it, and smiled. <laughs> it's an amazing metrish, right? Amazing. So he could accomplish the Pusik in Tehillim. Yismach tzadik ki nekam pa'amov. A tzadik should be happy when he sees the revenge of everything he did in life. Tehillim nunches, he saw it. It's clear that he not only knocked off his eyes, but he cut off his head as well. The Balitosa says that over there. But the Gemara seems to say just that he knocked out his eyes and he was able to get that done. And that's when Yaakov went down. Now, I will tell you, there's a Tosus in Tainus Heyom Abayz that says just this. The Gemara in Tainus Heyom Abayz is this whole Gemara of Rabbi Yitzchak and Rabbi Nachman. Rabbi Nachman's Rebbe was Rabbi Yitzchak. Rabbi Yitzchak was visiting him, and Rabbi Nachman kept saying to him, what's this mean, what's that mean? Rabbi Nachman asked questions, Rabbi Yitzchak answered. So Rabbi Nachman and Rabbi Yitzchak are sitting at a Suda, and Rabbi Nachman asked him, can Rebbe please say a Dvar Torah? So Rabbi Yitzchak said, the greatest Dvar Torah that you can use at any meal, and you should be super happy when you use it, it says, Eim Masichim Basuda. We don't talk during a Suda, because you might choke on something, which is the greatest Dvar Torah to say. We don't talk during meals. So that's that. You can just quote Tiny Samba Bays, we don't talk during meals. Okay, but he said, after the meal was finished, he said, Yaakovinu Lomes. Yaakovinu never died. So Rav Nachman looked at him and said, What, Bechibichdi, you think for nothing, Chantu Chantaya, Saptu Sabdaya, Kavru Kavraya, for nothing did they give him a hespid and they buried him and they, you know, did the whole whatever, the embalming thing, right? They did something. Was that for nothing? Like if he's not dead? So he said, Mikrani Dorish, I'm just darshaning a pasik. So it sounds like, if you read the Gemara like that, it sounds like he didn't mean that Yaakovinu really didn't die. It's just like, Yaakovinu's alive, like every tzaddik is alive, because they live vicariously through their kids, or because they're great tzaddikim, tzaddikim don't die. That's the way that it sounds like. Tosvos, greatest Tosvos of all time, says, Vechein mashma. That's the wording of Tosvos. It sounds like he never died. If you look at the Gemara on Sota, you'd give him Now what does he mean by that? He means this. He means because Yaakovinu smiled, when Esav's head or eyes popped out or was cut off, he smiled. Dead people don't smile, usually. 
right? That doesn't happen. That's not a rigor mortis thing. So it's a strange thing to happen. It must mean that he was alive. So it's an unbelievable thing. And I have like 12 answers to this as to how it goes. But I'm going to tell you, in the back of the Gemara in Tainus, one of the Purushim that nobody ever uses, you know, the Otsara Purushim, the Otsara Likutim that has all those. I forgot who it was. I forgot to look it up right before when I meant to. I can't remember. It was the Cheshach Shalom or the Poros Yosef, one of the other, Chochmas Minoach. I don't remember. I think it might be the Chochmas Minoach that says it's the greatest thing in the world. He did, he, when he was in Mitzrayim, he never died. Yaakovinu Lomais means he never died in Mitzrayim. He went into a coma. And they did everything they did. Again, they didn't do a full embalming. So it wasn't like they took out his organs, chas v'sholem, that huge sadik, they wouldn't do that. But whatever it was that the process they did to mummify his body, they did, right? Just not the full mummification process. And they brought him into Eretz He was still not dead. He was still un- in a coma. In Eretz Yisrael, when Esav died right there in front of him, Chushim had done, cut off his head, that's when Yaakov woke up from his coma, saw it, smiled, and then afterward died. And he died in Eretz Yisrael. Yaakov Inulameis, he never died outside of Eretz Yisrael. And that's what Tosis means, because look, he was still alive when he was in Eretz Yisrael. He definitely smiled. But then he died. And Sadiqim don't die, and that's the drush, the Pasuk of what Rabbi Yitzchok was darshaning in the Gemara. Said he come, don't die. So it's as if he's not dead, but he didn't die in Chutzlar. He died in Eretz Yisrael. And that also answers an unbelievable Shaila. Because the Gemara says that Rivka Imenu had a Nevuah. Why should I lose both of you on the same day? Rashi says she had a Nevuah and she saw that Yaakov and Esav would die on the exact same day. And by the way, Rashi has a little bit of a different gear from the Gemara. Rashi says that they wouldn't be buried on that day, but the Gemara says that they wouldn't die on the same day, that they would be, they would die on the same day, sorry, they would be buried, they would die on the same day, but they didn't die on the same day, Yaakovinu died 77 days earlier, and possibly earlier, if they did six days of traveling in between, it could have been 83 days earlier, Yaakovinu died, as we learned before, the Chassam Sofer says, he died on the first day of Sukkot, right, and he was buried either Hanukkah or Asar Beteves. look at the Chassam Sofer in Drushas and Daf Pei Gimel in Chelek Beis, okay, that he says, it's in the first column, he says that he died and he may have been buried on Hanukkah, sometime in Hanukkah, or Asar B'tavis. He says, lo rachok, to say that he died, that it was on Asar B'tavis. Hold on. So therefore, he says, this now it answers perfectly. Yaakov Vino didn't die in Mitzrayim. He died in Eretz Yisrael, which means that Nevuah of Rivka, I mean, it was correct. He went into a coma then, but he didn't die until then. So the same day that Esav died, Yaakov died. And it's not even that. Esav died first, and then Yaakov died. And that's what Rivka saw, and that's what she meant when she said, lomash kol shneicham gam it's an unbelievable shot. Yeah. You, so how do you answer that he, that he survived 77 days or 83 days without He's a coma. He's, a, he's in a coma. Can People can survive off coma. In comas, they can survive. That was water. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Every, are, if everything slows down, if everything slows down that they did, I also think... Uh, no, mummifica- I, the mummification process, whatever they did may have been something that allowed his it body to survive more. So that mummification process at a living tzaddik, wouldn't that be sort of disrespectful? I'm going to refer you to a shear of mine from five years. Do you remember this? Okay, you can rewind if you want to, but I'm going to refer you to that shear. <laughs> like just, it's Zimmerman.com. You can go ahead, right? It also, I don't think this one's on Torah anytime, but I, I'm pretty sure that's there. Anyway, guys, why was this Esav's death? What's the media connecting meter here? So the Karen Ora right there in Sota says that Esav claimed the only reason he didn't marry Leah is because she davened that she wouldn't marry him. That was while they were alive, but after death, he did 
deserves to be Zoha to be buried to her because he was her Bashert, right? They were set together in Shemayim. He put his eyes upon someone that wasn't his, so he lost his eyes. <laughs> That's what the Karanara says. He lost his eyes because he wanted someone, he wanted to be married to Leah or at least be buried next to Leah, and that was wrong. Otzer Plaus Torah suggests that the reason why his head had to be cut off because he was known as the Nachash, because his Shoresh was the same as the Nachash HaKadmoni. You know, we say that the Malach of Esav is the Satan, right? And the Nachash HaKadmoni is the Satan. So they're connected to each other. So based on a Tzioni and Parshas told us Parachov, hey, Pasachov Zion, where Rashi says is an uh, Adam Nechash Richon. Nechash Richon is the word that's used over there. Nachash is the idea behind it. Adam Rishon was told who Yeshuf Harosh because the snake's power is all in the head. Therefore, in order to destroy a snake, you have to cut off his head. That's the reason why his head had to cut off. That's the only reason why. Ben Yoyada in Sota says this may hint to the two tears that Esav shed when Yaakov stole the brachos of Esav. As we all know, when he did that, he shed two tears and Chazal say the first base of Mikdash and the second base of Mikdash were destroyed because Esav had those two tears, because Yaakov made him cry those two tears. The Medrash hints that this chus of his would not last forever. It would last for that, but Ben Esau will be Zoha to build that third base of Mikdash. So maybe this is the idea. He had the two tears, the Baltimich will be destroyed, but in the end, Esav will die. Esav will have that head cut off, the eyes will be gone. Or it refers to the Ayin Umos, Ayin as in 70 umos, as in the ayin, the eyes of Esav, that they will fall into the hands of Yaakovinu in the future, and that's why Yaakovinu left. Az yamale schok pinu ulshonenu rina. Like we see in Shiramalu said, in the future, that's when we'll be able to laugh, because that's when everything's going to go well. And after all, the name Chushim is the same letters as Mashiach. It's also right there in front of you. Really shouldn't be that hard to figure out. <laughs> you should be able to figure that out. But it is. Chushim is the same letters as Mashiach for that reason. Usually, you should just know. If I'm going to ask you something and I'm expecting you to get it, just follow along with me. You'll be fine. <laughs> it should be okay. But that's that. Into you, Xiaomi. Ksuvis, Perak Aleph, as well as Gittin, Perakay. It doesn't say that Chushim bin Dun killed Asaph. Yehuda killed Asaph. Is that unbelievable? It wasn't, it wasn't him. It was Yehuda who did it. Seder Adoros suggests the following. He says, although Esav didn't die after being hit by Chushim, oh, I wrote Elifa, I didn't mean that, by Chushim, right? Yehuda had to finish him off. Now, I, I personally have seen a turkey, you know, when I was studying Shechita, so I, 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 I've seen a turkey with its head cut off that walked around for the next 37 minutes afterward. We were counting it. It was fully walking around, fully walking around. Yeah, it's dead, but the nerve endings are still going, so it's walking around. I don't want anybody saying to me, I told you Shechita was not proper. It's, it's fine, it's fine, it's dead, right? But it did, it was walking around the entire time. 37 minutes, it rested a little bit at thir- minute number 32. So we thought it was fine, right? And then somebody came by, tried touching the turkey, and it got right back up, started walking around again, and freaked all of us out. It was amazing, absolutely amazing. So yes, that definitely could happen. But I find it strange that if Asaph's head was cut off, that Asaph's body could be walking around a little bit. But apparently, according to this Yerushalmi, right, the way the Seder Adoro says it, Husha may have cut off his head, but Yehuda had to finish it off. Now, if you go with the version of the Gemara that Hushim hit him hard on the back of the head and his eyes fell out, right, but not cut off his head, then Yehuda may have been the one who then killed him. 
Chushim was the one who started it, and Yehuda finished it. That's a possibility. The Mayam always quotes it from Tosfos Gittin Nun Hayamad Beis Dibaramaschal Bi Yehuda, who seems to say the exact same thing. There's another opinion, Yelkit Shimoni, that Yehuda killed Esav at Yitzchak's funeral, not Yaakov's. They did not die on the same day. Esav was already dead, which makes sense in the Pirkei of Ezer that it wasn't Esav that came, it was another man that came, somebody else from the land of Seir. It wasn't Esav because Esav's dead. What happened was Yaakov went in to go say his final goodbyes to his father Yitzchak and Esau followed him. Yehuda saw it and said, whoa, I can't let Esau and Yaakov be in the same cave together. So Yehuda went in and he was right. Esau was about to kill him. So Yehuda cut off his head from behind. That's how it says it. And Esau died at the age of 120, not at the age of 147. He, if 147 is when Yaakov died, but 120 is when Esau died, and Yehuda is the one that killed him. The all Arya asks, why would you kill somebody from behind? This seems like a cowardly thing to do. The obvious answer is because I, he had to kill him before he killed Yaakov. It's not like you say, let him turn around, <laughs> then do it. I would assume that that's the reason why. However, he says it was because Esau and Yaakov looked alike. And therefore, he didn't want to cut off Yaakov's, Esav's head while looking at him because it would be like looking at his father's face. As a side note, this is something that I, I want to concentrate on one year. I haven't done it yet. But to figure out exactly, there are strange midrashim about who looked alike. Avram and Lot and Eliezer all supposedly looked alike. Yitzchak and Avram Avinu looked exactly alike based on the measures that Yitzchak's face changed to be like Avram Avinu's and Avram Avinu had to daven for old age because no one could tell the difference between Avram and Yitzchak themselves because he was so youthful. And then we have Yaakov Avinu looking exactly like Esau. And I know everybody's going to tell me, what do you mean? Red hair, huge hair and all beard and everything, right? I, I hear you. It's possible that Yaakov Avinu also had red hair. We don't like thinking that way because we hate redheads, right, Dave? But nonetheless, we sit there and we understand that we look at that and we say it's possible that Yaakov and Esau both looked exactly like they all had it. Yeah. All right. Yeah, but Yehuda, I can't worry about that. I, it's a funny thing, but I don't think, I, they are not worried about that. They're just saying like, no, 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 this is a cowardly thing. You don't kill somebody from behind. You do something else. That's the reason why. So they were okay with that. I think they were okay with that. But let's go with that third answer because Esau was a good fighter and he didn't want to fight him. But come on, that's still cowardly. Fight. Straight up. You have to, you know. Well, she you didn't, know I'm sorry? You don't know how narrow the cave was. Yeah, that's possible. That's you possible. Right. It's also possible they weren't able to go through. Right. 100%. Well, they weren't so able to get there. Even if you're not worried, you know, Hashem makes you really strong and all that. Uh, stronger. Stronger. Yeah. Um, and it's... No one needs to put your life at risk. You have an obligation not to. Yeah, 100%. So, except it's Yehuda. Yeah, but Yaakov, Yaakov was afraid of Esau and he bowed down to Esau, which means that how can Yehuda not... Except it's Yehuda. No, Yehuda's awesome. Stop it. I'm we're not. Saying, no, we're not. No, we're not. No, no. Yeah, because Yaakov grew up with him. You didn't grow up with him. Yehuda's just like, I'm fine. I don't know. I can't answer the question, guys. Shittimikubetsk says that this is the reason why the Romans have so many gezeros against Yehuda, the B'nai Yehuda, because they had a Mesora that was brought down that Yehuda was the murderer of Esau. And they had that down. Not Kushim. It was from Yehuda. So they had so many Gezeras against Yehuda because they hated Yehuda. For example, the whole idea of why Yehuda had a minug, right, to... It's a strange one, but the Gemara Ksuva says it. They had Yehud with the Chassan and Kala before the wedding. Why would they do that? Because the Hegmon was bald of Besulos Tchila. So they would purposely have Yehud beforehand so that the 
the Kala would already be with her husband before the Hegmon was involved. So that the Hegmon maybe wouldn't even get involved because he only wanted to be together with the Basula. It was done on purpose because they knew that Yehuda had killed Esau, so they specifically made a rule against Yehuda. Not against Galil, not against Eber Yardain, only on Yehuda because of that decree that they had, or some misorder that they had regarding this. And the Maral talks about this as well. He says, it's interesting, right? By the Mishkan. Who built the Mishkan? We have Bitzalel, Ben Uri, Ben Chur, Lamate, Yehuda. And we have Ahaliyav, Ben Achisamach, Lamate, Dun. Isn't it interesting that the killer of Hushim Ben Dun is a combination between Yehuda and Hushim Ben Dun? Right? The killer of Esav is the combination of Dun and Yehuda, just like we have by the Mishkan. So that's something, again, the Maral speaks about that and he goes through. Again, he also says the word Chushim and Mashiach, etc. and stuff like that. And that's that. So I want to go on with the Medrash. Still from the Sefer Yasher. The Shvatim then buried their father Yaakov in the cave and continued fighting over the seven days of Avelis, while Esav lay there decapitated and unburied. Another 80 men of Esav's family were killed without a single loss on the side of Yaakov. Inu. The Egyptians helped in the battle. They captured Tzfo, the son of Eliphaz, and 50 men that battled with them. They tied them up in iron chains. They gave them to their servants to bring them back to Egypt. That was, that was it for the children of Esav. They stopped. Eliphaz led them in retreat so they could bury their father in Harser, everything except for his head, which seems to have been buried in Mars Machpela. The children of Esav then gathered together a huge army with the children of Seir as well as many of their friends from the east to fight Yosef and the Shvatim again as well as Mitzrayim. It did not go well for them again. They ended up losing hundreds of thousands of men according to the Sefer Yasher. The Esav's children went home. They got into a fight with the Seir family. They ended up wiping them out completely, taking over the whole land of Seir and there was no Seir people left, taking over their land. That's when they started their kings that we talked about in Parshat Vayishlach, the kings that the children of Esav had. This is unbelievable, right? Yosifun, which is quoted by the Ramban, in Perak Memtes Pasuk Lamed Aleph, Yosifun is not Josephus Flavius, the one that claimed to be the Kohen Gadol and wrote the history of the Jews, etc. Yosifun was another safer, right? Says this war was started by Tzvo Eliphaz's son, and Yosef had intel that such a thing was going to happen, so he brought with him a huge army from Egypt that was easily able to capture Tzvo and his men. Tzvo remained in jail in Egypt until Yosef died, he then escaped, although that would have been 50 years later, I can't imagine how old Tzvo would have been at that time, he went to the land of Canafania, he became king over Italy and was the first king of Rome. That is brought down from the Ramban, based on this Sefer Ayasher, and it is brought down in the Sefer Ayasher and the Seder Adoros as well, that's all from right over there. So, I don't have a lot over here. I, I'm going to skip over this part of here, what exactly was Esav's claim. You can look at it yourself. I have the Miam Loez, the Chsam Sofer, the Ion Yaakov, based on a Psak in Yoradea Shin Samachvav, and the Eitz Yosef. Both of those are in the Ein Yaakov and Sota itself. But here, Dayelas Ashachar, right? Arnleib Shimon says, even though we normally don't allow Rashayim to be buried next to Tzadikim, how could Esav's head have been buried in Maris Machpela? How is that possible? How is that able to be done? So he says there's four reasons. He gives five reasons. Sorry, five reasons altogether. Number one, he had this schus to be machabed his father, right, for many, many years. And because of that schus, one shouldn't just throw away one mitzvah. One mitzvah that a person does could be enough to allow you to be buried by the greatest people of all time. One mitzvah that's possible. Number two, since it fell there, they didn't want to take it out. 
They thought it was a simon from Hashem that if the head went there, that was the potential greatness that, Akadosh, that Esav had. HaKadosh Baruch wanted them to see that and therefore they did not take it out. That's number two. Number three, maybe before Mountain Torah, there was no such thing as not burying Tzadik and Roshayim next to each other. Maybe that didn't happen. That could be that there was no such halacha at that time. That could be. Number four, they were worried that going in and taking out his head would cause the Bnei Esav to fight again. They were willing to fight back they were not willing to start a fight. And therefore, they didn't take out Esav's head. They would have allowed Esav to go, Esav's children to go in and take out the head. But when they didn't, they didn't want to do it themselves, and they left it there. Number five, his head may have been buried more than four amos away from Yitzchak, Yaakov, and everybody else there. So it's possible that that's okay, because we only say that a Russia shouldn't be buried within Dalit Amos of a tzaddik. But to be buried outside of Dalit Amos of a tzaddik may be okay. In the end, Rav Steinman says that you should know, being buried next to a tzaddik will not help you. There are those who spend a fortune to be buried next to great tzaddikim in Eretz Yisrael, to make sure that their kever is right next to a tzaddik. He says, it's probably better to use all of that money that you spent as a fortune and give it to Aniyam as a schus, a final schus for you before you die. Because he says, in Olam Haba, whatever punishment you're going to get, the person you're buried next to is not going to help you with. That person is not going to help you be able to get anything. You're going to get in the next world no matter what. So you might as well use the money for more tzedakah and more maizim tovim than to be buried next to a tzaddik. That's not going to help. We see that even though Esau was buried next to Yitzchak and Yaakov, nonetheless, his final resting place was in a very, very different place from them. He was not Vayosef al-Amav gathered to his nation in Olam Haba. He had a very, very different area that was designated for him. Either way, everyone, this should explain most of the Midrashim. Right, regarding what happened over here with Asav and how he was killed. It's an amazing, amazing, amazing magic. Have a good job, everybody.